This episode of AVXL was recorded on December 28th, 2020. We're going to talk about pre-CES 2021 TV rumors from LG, Samsung, and Sony, the Netflix speed button, ultra short throw dual laser projectors, because I like saying ultra short throw dual laser projectors, subscription rage over Wonder Woman 1984 and Soul, and so much more. By the way, don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear. No matter what your budget is, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. And we are a biscuit away from the end of 2020. Yay! May it die screaming. Actually, I probably shouldn't push it. It's been enough of a year as it is. <laughs> I'm taking no chances. Yeah, it's that seems fairly reasonable. Things are looking better. Hopefully. As I stare into the near future. I just want to get through the next week without the sun exploding or something. Or the whole town being on lockdown yet again. <laughs> <laughs> what a year. I'm liking the mask. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the mask. Nothing wrong with a mask, people. Especially when you're around other people. If you want to wear a mask at home while you're alone, by all means... But that's probably a different kind of mask wearing. And before I digress any further and just really squeak everybody out, Happy Hanukkah, Winter Solstice, Xmas, Kwanzaa, which I believe is still running. Um, hopefully your pre-holiday orders from late November and early December are actually in your home. I was laughing because a friend of mine, uh, acquaintance of both of ours, was freaking out because he'd ordered a GPU what seems like forever and a day ago and was like, have I been scammed? And I'm like, no, I mean, yeah, cause you paid so much for this GPU, but it's the only way to buy one right now, but not cause of the mail thing, something I had ordered for my boys around December 1st is still making its way via USPS, uh, who I have tremendous sympathy for given all the rule changes and mayhem this year, but man, there was a tremendous rush. It seems in terms of shipping leading right up yeah. to, December 25th. It's going to take a few days for it to catch up. <laughs> I had a package that was should have arrived well before Christmas. It seemed like it went out for delivery that day and it never made it. And then suddenly it was everything's postponed for the next two, three days. We'll, we'll get back to you as soon as we can. We apologize. But sure enough. Yeah, I, I received the notice today waiting my uh, <laughs> my pickup. <laughs> waiting your signature. Oh, my goodness. So hopefully. If you ordered stuff, it arrived on time. And if it didn't, you have our full sympathy because I'm still waiting for stuff to show up for the boys. Uh, that was ordered weeks ago. For me, I'm also very happy that the days are now getting longer instead of shorter. <laughs> if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I, I always feel a pang of angst, I guess, on days like this where it's like, oh, the summer's never going to be longer than it just was. Okay. <laughs> Well, we Days get that too. It's just we do, but six months away. We celebrate the solstice in our house. While I celebrate, perhaps it's the opposite for someone on the other side of the I planet. Went, you know, it is what it is, man. It is. <laughs> it is what it is. I'm thinking of them. You know what comes with the solstice and Hanukkah and Xmas and Kwanzaa and the New Year's is, of course. And it's going to be a little different this year. CES 2021, uh, the TV rumors are hot and heavy, and I'm just going to sit back and absorb what you've been... Uh, well, there's a bunch of stuff you can't talk about, because if you do attack lawyers with sharks on leash, will drop from the ceiling. True. 
and I don't want to watch you eaten by sharks Indeed. even over Skype, but <laughs> if I can avoid being food for a large animal, at least if I'm alive. <laughs> Seriously. Anyway, 2021 TVs, the, the rumors are out and a the lot podcast of podcasts got dark. Yeah, I know. <laughs> got to steer this boat back. Get, get into the happy Quick. place. TV rumors. Oh. Uh, may I be food? Brighter OLEDs. What's the story there? Well, among the many 2021 TV rumors, a lot of these being reported by literally online detectives who are out there scouring everything from FCC style device filings to other countries' right. device filings, figuring out what the model names are. People have a good sense, at least, for what the different series TVs are going to be for the LG, Samsung, Sony, TCL high senses of the world at this point. Some likely screen sizes are also known, but there are a lot of gaps in the information. However, one thing that is being hinted at is an updated OLED panel. It seems like OLED performance overall has been fairly consistent, we'll say, for the last few years mm -hmm. in terms of hitting about in the mid 700 nit range, we'll say. However, Panasonic for the last couple of years now has been offering LG based panels, but somehow they're hitting a thousand nits, at least in their quote-unquote master HDR OLED professional edition panels that are quite the popular with editors and videographers and anyone who really wants a, a high-performance display that is likely right from the factory, perfectly calibrated and very calibratable for any scenario. <laughs> Those panels, if you really want one, apparently are available in the United States. One of the only places you can get a a Panasonic OLED in the US, granted it's a pro edition, would be over at valueelectronics.com. And I'd be curious to see if Mr. Zone and his family would bring any of the uh, 2021 consumer-oriented models from Panasonic this way as well. We'll have to wait and see. But going back to OLED technology really quick, one of the ways apparently Panasonic is creating this brighter panel with LG's technology is through the use of a heatsink. And in a review posted on AV Forum, they actually talk about how, I'll just quote this, heat is dissipated by the design of the heatsink attached to the rear of the panel, which helps increase the brightness and helps reduce any risk of image retention. If that's accurate, I could see LG borrowing that technology back or licensing it from Panasonic to add to their own panels. Perhaps that is one of the ways they will achieve that higher light output as well. As we're already seeing it, at least from the Panasonic LG version of that panel. When it comes to LCD televisions, you could honestly say that TCL kind of started a mini LED war with its 8 series panel that came out. And now that technology, that mini LED backlighting technology has migrated its way into the new 6 series. For 2021, sure. we still haven't, at least I haven't seen any rumors as to what they may be offering, but... Considering how they've been taking premium technology like very high mini LED densities in terms of using that as a backlighting system for really good image control, good contrast control, good local dimming control really is what it is. Mm -hmm. And seeing that perhaps even take it a step further, maybe even to the five series, maybe better enhancement through color with quantum dot technology as well pared down. I don't believe we're going to see micro LED technology, on the other hand, from anybody at this point, save for something like Samsung's 110-inch, $150,000 micro LED TV. That's where the individual subpixels of the display are LEDs themselves. That is still pretty expensive technology, especially trying to get that down to a size like, say, a, a 55 or a 65-inch TV. That would be very difficult and very costly, I think, at this point still 
if that even proves to be practical at all. I don't see those TVs becoming like mainstream, at least for 2021. I would love to be proven wrong. Let's hope maybe somebody's going to sneak something out like that. I do see that mini LED backlighting technology paired with something like Quantum Dot being a right. great enhancement across the board for all of the manufacturers. Going to Hisense really quick, they've also demonstrated that dual panel technology where effectively they're putting a 1080p light valve behind the 4K panel. And that creates a couple million zones of control in terms of the backlighting system. I could see hopefully that style panel, hopefully making it into something we can actually see in the stores and pick up. That would be another way to improve LED, LCD televisions in general is just having that exquisite control over that backlighting system. Something I am incredibly not excited about, but I suspect to see virtually at CES 2021, 8K televisions. Do we care? Yes, we do in the sense that <laughs> I guarantee <laughs> oh, you, wow. I guarantee you every television manufacturer will be showing off an 8K model and that will feature all of their latest and greatest technologies. That's typically where these things migrate toward. So for whatever feature you consider premium, I'm willing to bet just about everyone's going to have at the very tip of the spear, an 8K design to sell you on that. In the case of LG, Samsung, Sony, TCL, and even Hisense getting into the 8K game here, especially for the larger screen sizes, 65, 70 plus, and we'll also be seeing larger and larger sizes for 2021. Interesting. 80 is going to be like the new normal here real soon. Is this a bad thing? No, I, I think not. As an alternative, <laughs> if you can't go projection for a particular reason, hey, I'm glad there are more 80 plus inch options out there. Nothing wrong with that. A couple of tweets made me aware of something I hadn't yet noticed in iOS uh, on Netflix, which is the player control test. That's what Netflix calls them on their blog entry which is by Keila Robeson, Vice President, Product Innovation. And it's essentially the ability to control your playback speed on titles on Netflix from uh, 0.5x slower to 1.5x faster. Started on Android, uh, moved to iOS, as apparently available on desktop. Haven't seen it on the, on the Apple TV implementation of Netflix yet, but essentially will allow you to watch 0.5x or 0.75x slower or 1.25x or 1.5x faster on phones, tablets, and laptops. Thank goodness. Well, a lot it of us depends. use like skip intro or play next episode. And I was fascinated by this because this freaked me out. I was just like, oh, I mean, and I, I, I said on Twitter, like, I'll admit I've fast forwarded through certain movies because I wanted to see things, but I just couldn't stand the pace or the dialogue. I loved what uh, Hippopotamus tweeted. He said, it's good for anime and long running series. You ever watch 900 plus episodes of anime? And uh, part of me was like, I don't want my kids to hear an honest response to that question. And part of me was, that's a lot of back episodes <laughs> to catch up with. For me, it would depend more on the content, really. Uh, yeah. For, yeah. For classics and for any theatrical release, I really don't want to be playing with the playback speed, at least, at least for that first viewing. For things I use that for all the time or when I'm listening or listening specifically to anything with audio. Yeah. And it depends on the presenter. Some people talk faster or slower. And sometimes mm -hmm. it makes it more listenable to speed it up or slow it down a little bit. I really appreciate those controls. I use it a lot with YouTube. 
depends on the presentation and the person. If I can get away with it, I often do speed it up to like 1.25x mm -hmm. would be my favorite nice. personally. But again, it depends on the uh, presenter too. Some people already talk plenty fast and it's good for me to, uh, <laughs> I don't need to increase that, but sometimes it's the opposite and it gets me through it and I get the information a little quicker. Right. The blog entry was interesting because a couple of things they, one, they said it was one of the most requested features they had. Two, they had a quote uh, related to the National Association of the Deaf and the National Federation of Blind who have, quote, both welcomed this feature. People who are deaf and have difficulty reading appreciate the option of slowing down the captioning, and people who are hard of hearing value the ability to listen at slower speeds, while many individuals who are vision impaired are used to listening to digital audio much faster, for example, with screen readers. They also noted that, quote, more than 80% of members use subtitles or closed captions at least once a month, with many of them reporting that they use dubs and subtitles to learn new languages. In the last two years, U.S. viewing of non-English titles has increased by 33%. I would also might point out that that might be because they have added so many new non-English titles, and people are curious about that. Good point. They've also... Uh, noted that they are, quote, mindful of the concerns of some creators, and that's why they capped the uh, range of playback speeds, and they require you to reset that speed every time you watch something new. I thought it was kind of interesting. It makes me wonder, we'll too. We'll see how that goes. There may be more content than I realize on Netflix that is stuff, like, especially if it's language learning or just information, that it would be more conducive to listening to at a faster speed. I typically never uh, slow anything down. Right. I could see usability reasons for needing to do so. As you mentioned. There's been a ton of kind of Bollywood Indian content and Japanese anime content and Japanese and Korean series that uh, I've been noticing. It has increased kind of in volume in the last year or two or amount. Right. You're probably going to have to deal with this whether you like it or not, so just deal with it. A lot of folks are annoyed by Pixar's Soul and the Warner Brothers Wonder Woman 1984 requiring subscriptions. Oh, Oh, Malik, who's somebody I adore in a lot of things, was just like, I just want to buy it. I don't want to deal with a new subscription. And one part of me gets that. Another part of me is like, well, this is this is one of the great experiments of 2020, whether yes. you like it or not, or 2021, as the case may be. I also saw a lot of folks uh, being annoyed by things like Mulan, where they add in a pretty hefty fee to be able to watch it early. I don't think any of these experiments are going away anytime soon, given uh, the lack of theater releases or the difficulty of releasing things wide scale in theaters in the United States, the rest of the world having kind of sorted this out. I was mildly surprised at how short these exclusives are technically. Like Wonder Woman 1984 is I think 31 days, right. 30 days, something like that. Yeah. And you know, it's very much like, well, it's the new method for doing a feature release like this. It, it, the grand right. experiment. <laughs> the first of many. At least for the next couple months. <laughs> yep. Oh my goodness. So I said a couple weeks ago I was going to I was actually going to pop over to our local Apple store and pick up Apple's first over the ear AirPod branded headphones uh which are so stupidly expensive they make Bose look cheap but Brent Butterworth beat me through it and frankly he measured the snot out of them and uh I don't feel like spending $550 to experience them myself 
Sorry. I think they probably sound better than I expected them to. If you want to read the whole thing, go to soundstageglobal.com. It's how well do the Apple AirPods Max headphones measure. There's some interesting stuff going on here. One, they have a fairly bass-heavy, treble-soft curve to them in terms of the frequency response. And there's no EQ. So unlike Sony's uh, noise-canceling headphones, if you don't like the curve, you can't change it. I think it's probably much more desperately needed. I could see that changing. Yeah, that could change. Sony's noise-canceling headphones, most of them, uh, the XM3, the XM4, the 910s, sound to me atrocious out of the box. It's ridiculous how much bass comes out of the box with those, and it's sloppy, bloated bass. It's not good bass. So EQ for me is an absolute necessity to listen to those. There's no adjustments on the active noise cancellation. You You don't have the ability oh. to kind of tune the level of it. So there's on, off, and then transparency, which leaks in external audio via microphones. The noise cancellation in the airplane range is really, really, really impressive, as in it falls between Sony's, uh, Sony's noise cancellation between, or it's like between 100 and 1,000 hertz, uh, and the Bose NC700, which is the best you can get. If you hate airplane noise, Bose kind of owns that category. Uh, like I mentioned before, bass heavy treble light. And uh, if you want to read an excellent review, because Brent did his listening test before he did the measurements, which is his kind of standard, uh, head over to soundstageglobal.com. It is a good read and a very, he does, because he puts them in sort of market context, compares them to another headphone with noise cancellation you might not have heard of. I really want to send the traffic over there because Brent's a good guy. That's uh, soundstageglobal.com. Awesome. Another announcement that came out, and it's kind of crazy because people were still dropping products late in December, is the uh, Dan Clark Audio, formerly Mr. Speakers, the Aeon 2 Noir. It is a complement to the Aeon 2, except it's black and it uses perforated ear pads. Uh, I believe it's the same planar magnetic drive as the Aeon 2. Quote, boasts a new sound signature. Using our perforated Aeon ear pads, the Aeon 2 realizes an almost exact match to the popular Harman curve frequency response. And yes, you're a headphone geek if you know what this means. Uh, Aeon, <laughs> Dan Clark writes there. I just picked up a pair of the Aeon 2 closed back, uh, which is something I've been anticipating since they came out this summer. I suspect the difference between the perforated ear pads and the non-perforated ear pads is fairly subtle. I could be wrong. The Aeon 2 is phenomenal. I've only had about five or six hours listening with them, but they're probably like, basically they replaced the original Aeon from Dan Clark Audio. Lauren Dragon uh, calls them the best headphones under $2,000. I'd say probably the best headphones most people can ever hope to afford. Uh, not that you know, the price is particularly, uh, yeah, it's just, they're spendy. I don't know how else to describe it. They're $900 normally, $765 on the 15% off sale that Dan Clark Audio is running. But as uh, Mr. Clark said to me once in a conversation I had with him, compared to a set of $20,000 speakers, they're cheap. <laughs> Heck yeah. Compared to a set of three, $4,000 speakers, they're cheap. And now if you want them in black, better ventilation for your ears. Ear pads, they're <laughs> yes. out there. I don't know if there's much in the way of better ventilation there, uh, but I think it absorbs more of the high end. Seriously. But if you want some of the best ear candy. These are phenomenal headphones. You spend thousands more to get anything better. And as you spend more on headphones, the differences get more subtle. And again, all their headphones are 50% off and a goodbye to 2020 sale, uh, including the retuned Aeon RT, which is an interesting one because it uses 
sort of the first-gen Aeon cups and drivers, and they did some tuning tweaks to it. And then they used the second-gen Aeon's Halo, which folds up much smaller than the first-gen. And those sell for like $499. They're on sale for $450. Uh, I haven't heard that one, but I am intimate with the original Aeon, and uh, it should be excellent. A little bit more bass, uh, a little bit more on the high end, but it is reported as still sounding incredibly neutral and measuring fairly neutral. That's probably one of the great deals if you want sort of a super, if you're ready to kind of take the next step beyond something like a uh, Sony MDR 7506, right? which is a ridiculously good headphone for under 100 bucks. That might be a nice jump, a big jump, but a nice jump. Do planar magnetics require special amps to run them, or can they run off your, for most traditional? Don't, yeah, a lot of it depends. You know, if you have an older, say, uh, Android phone, you probably want a discrete right. headphone amplifier on that. If you have a fairly modern desktop, your headphone amp is probably pretty good. I think at some point, if you're going to be spending $500 or even two or $300 on the headphones, it's not a bad idea to start thinking about a discrete headphone amp and DAC. And one of the great deals out there on that is the AudioQuest Dragonfly. Uh, and two, um, you know, you want to start thinking about if you really want to hear everything these can do. Again, you want sort of like lossless files, Cobas, Tidal, the spree, the premium version of Spotify, and you know, listening in a quiet room because Perfect. a loud room or an airplane uh, is going to kind of negate a lot of what you can hear in a nice set of high-end headphones. So, just a thought on that one. I have one off, well, semi-on-topic question, but have you ever been shocked, like, in the ears by a pair of headphones? Shocked, like, touching the fence outside the cow pasture shocked? Yes. Or shocked, like, oh, Z-O-M-G, these are... Okay, uh, no, I have never... I was just curious. I forget where it came up, but somebody said they were wearing a pair of headphones, and I don't think they were planar magnetics. It was probably electrostatics. And they said they literally had a energy go like right in their ear hole and it freaked them out <laughs> and they refused to wear them ever since. And I was just like, oh, man. <laughs> well, I mean, electrostatics are interesting because of the amount of voltage you're dealing with, like several hundred volts. But right. I have never heard of anyone being shocked by them. I'm wondering how much of this is rumored to how well, accurate this assessment really was. And anyway. As always, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question. To go back to what you were saying before, I think if you're going to spend a few hundred dollars or more on a set of headphones, it's probably time just to make sure you get the most out of those headphones, that you get a discrete amplifier and DAC. Part of that is when you look at something like JDS Labs, Adam, for 200 bucks, you're getting some ridiculous performance out of their headphone and uh, headphone uh, amp and DAC. You can spend a bunch more money. It's not a bad idea to just make sure you're getting everything you can out of your headphone at that point. If you're in a quiet room, if you're going to be doing critical listening, uh, if you're going to be whacking on your keys in a loud office, a lot less critical, but it's something to think about. We got a question from Luke in Wisconsin. He emailed ask at avxl.com and writes, I am learning that displays with amazing pixel response times like OLEDs can visibly stutter when 24p panning shots occur. It sounds like TVs offer some settings to try and compensate for this, black frame insertion or special non-soap opera smoothing effects. An AVS forum post I just finished reading seemed to indicate that even with these techniques, a plasma or CRT or even a slower LED LCD TV would be better at this. 
should movie purists avoid OLEDs for now because of this? Have your eyeballs notice this behavior in action? Cheers, Luke from Wisconsin. And then he likes to uh, an LG CX OLED TV review on ratings.com, which overall gives a 9.3 uh, out of, I think, a possible 10 for movie viewing on the LG CX OLED TV, but it only gets a 4.8 on the stutter rating, which talks about uh, how smooth motion appears in the screen. First of all, I think I want to invite everybody to email ask at avxl.com because you started digging into this and we're going to hold off on the response to this for a week. I have some good thoughts about what you can do to improve either situation, dealing with stutter right. or judder if you see it. It's the odd thing. Generally, when people talk about stutter, it's going to be with video content that's 30 frames per second or faster. Judder, right. in this case, and in the case of the ratings review, it is specific to that 24p judder, and that gets a 10.0. Right. The short answer is you can just turn off LG's true motion function. Oh, I don't know if they, is it still called that on the C10. That's something I'll look into. And another thing to realize right. is because of the speed of an OLED pixel in terms of it being able to light up or turn off completely. And that in itself introduces an image artifact to our eyes because it is not the same as the way a plasma TV would literally right. pulse at 600 hertz in terms of a pixel being illuminated. And that in and of itself made things, in a sense, blend together a little easier in those kind of stutter potential situations. <laughs> well... I'll take a look into 24p, that. 24p, 24 frames per second, the sort of cinematic effect, uh, what one of my harsher digital friends refers to as a delete expletive hangover from the age of analog that should die for other people is critical to the cinematic experience. Uh, we will get more into this next week, but it's this is not a new problem. It's just a new and exciting variation on a long running theme in home theater in the digital age. Totally. <laughs> and the other thing that caught my eye in that ratings article was that they mentioned using black frame insertion specifically with 24p judder to correct that issue. And they made it at least it seems like within that article that that's the only way to deal with it. And I don't believe that to be the case. So. Luke, hang in there. I'll do some digging. We'll get this right. And uh, I'll get back to you about that. I thought this was an April Fool's joke when you sent it to me. But let us discuss the KFC console with its chicken chamber. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, too, had to check the date just to make sure. And then sure enough, the good folks at Kentucky Fried Chicken tweeted out this incredible <laughs> intro <laughs> to the KF console. This appears to be something using notebook style hardware and a custom Intel board to provide mm -hmm. the place you'll have your storage and the compute platform for that. They're actually using an Intel Nook compute element. This is a PCIe form factor and they are showing Asus as a partner who I believe is actually creating the board for this. That would allow something like this to then be paired with a variety of graphics cards that are out there. Mm. It is a legit system. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of neat, actually. I am really curious, and one thing clearly missing from this launch is what services will they offer with it? It could very well play quite nice with something like Steam, even for doing VR. Services like Uplay, you know, GOG, wherever you get your games, is it going to be more... Right pre-baked or is it going to be effectively a windows computer <laughs> unknowns to me at this point for all of that but 
curious nonetheless. And as you mentioned, the chicken chamber. <laughs> hey, please to keep your chicken toasty <laughs> in a little pull-out drawer. I don't think an Intel Nook 9 generates enough heat to keep the chicken crispy. Oh, but uh, At least warm. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Overclock it. It does have a hot swappable GPU oh. slot should you actually be able to buy a GPU. That's a good point. Which is highly unlikely in the near future. But it made me smile. But, uh, and it's a, a masterful bit of what I thought at first was a complete joke. But the more you clicked around, it has legit parts. <laughs> and we'll see. So we'll strange. See, we'll see if somebody's going to turn, you know, effectively what is a notebook PC and a mainstream graphics card into a DIY. Big chicken warming chamber. Yes. <laughs> I can also play games. <laughs> and virtual reality. Um, I'm waiting to see when the uh, order button shows up. I want the KFC oh VR experience. I still haven't finished Wonder Woman 1984 because we started watching it very late with the boys. Uh, and I'm still kind of fascinated by some of the storyline, which we will not discuss because people who drop spoilers should be beaten to death in public. Uh, I haven't started Soul yet because I don't want to be interrupted i want to i want to have a pure pixar experience i will say i am fascinated by uh, a person named uh, michael mansell i've never seen him before but this is a fun video to watch i turned a boring shed into an epic dolby atmos home theater and he started with a tough shed like the kind you see for sale outside of your local big box hardware store uh, and then he poured a ton of diy work and uh, some paid work and a lot of money it's really cool to see all of the stuff he does where he, and he has a bunch of sponsors on this too, or people that sold him equipment at cost, but it's cool because he creates two sets of risers for the home theater seating, how he builds it out, the wiring, the electrical, uh, he's in Arizona. So there's a ton of insulation inside of this. He did double layers of plywood on the floor and sheetrock on the walls with green glue to kind of isolate it acoustically. There's a lot of stuff going on here and it's kind of trippy to watch, including the sort of wedging in of, of uh, PVC pipe to create some channel for wiring. But it's interesting, if you want to look at somebody really kind of approach literally from the concrete pouring up on building a home theater, it'll give you a lot to think about and some ideas. And it's also pretty slick once they get all the fancy stuff installed too. One thing I noticed in there, they talk about Acoustimac panels, which is a company that makes acoustic panels, but they do sort of a, a photo printed you can create custom photo printed uh, artwork out of the acoustic panels, which oh. can make them considerably more friendly for tuning uh, a room. Uh, might be a little odd to have art on the ceiling, but you can, you know, sort of have a just a solid color printed to try to match your ceiling on that, which can make a huge difference in your acoustics in a room. That's a neat project. Yeah, it's really slick. He literally starts with having the concrete poured and then the tough shed gets built and then the insulation and the wiring and, and everything else. I thought it was pretty, pretty cool. If you're doing new construction or remodeling, you could probably get something out yeah. of that video or a good tip or two for sure. Yeah. He's doing a lot of sophisticated stuff in terms of creating, you know, the, he builds his own subwoofer enclosure. There's just, it's really cool. I, I really uh, have been enjoying that. Uh, I've been doing a ton of listening on Kobas and Spotify on my desktop. Um, I got uh, streaming to my AVR running, which has been really, really cool because it runs over Heos, which is problematic in some ways, not problematic in others. Uh, I'll talk about that some next week. Uh, and I'm also working on a Rune server build. So as I slowly recover and eventually return my 900 odd CD collection that I've ripped, I can get all that online and streaming to everything in the house. But that's a, 
again, a conversation for another week. Woohoo! I'm excited. <laughs> Very cool. I finished the Mandalorian. Finally got that done and done. And look did at- you cry? I'm... Did you cry when they shot Old Yeller? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Sorry. Yes, I did. Stripes reference. <laughs> I, I still have many, many questions. I, uh, it, it, is it going to be enough to get me hooked on paying for <laughs> Disney Plus? We'll, we shall well, see. Well, you know, you can watch all the Pixar films while you're in there. That's something. True that. True that. And they have a right stuff, a television series based on the right stuff that's in the National Geographic subsection of Disney Plus. It's worth checking out. Just a thought while you're there. Considering that my Netflix bill has boosted up a little bit on that monthly charge. <laughs> I'm actually digging back in there again, <laughs> going through that content, making sure I haven't missed too much. But otherwise, yeah. Oh. Thank you, YouTube Premium. Oh, man. So many series. Oh, um, Ted Lasso, by the way. I mentioned that I was not going to talk about something I was watching on the on Apple TV Plus. Oh, yeah. I saw so many people talking about it online and being just amazed by it. I am fascinated by Ted Lasso. It's uh, it's uh, Bill Lawrence, Jason Sudeikis, uh, Joe Kelly, Brandon Hunt were kind of behind it. And I did not know he had done, Jason Sudeikis had done a character called Ted Lasso for NBC Sports coverage of the Premier League. Uh, and this is an entire series devoted to it. Uh, I don't know how you would feel about it if you were a soccer enthusiast. I enjoyed Ted Lasso's journey as an American football coach who is brought to coach a Premier League team in the UK. Hilarity, heartbreak. And uh, a fairly non-tossing example of uh, coaching uh, and parenting and manhood is displayed. That's what kind of caught me. It's a feel-good series. It may drive you nuts, but I enjoy the hell out of it. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing season two. So just a thought on that one. I wonder if Jason Sudeikis was also perhaps channeling a bit of a Pete Twinkle from his SNL days as well. In the entirely ESPN, possible. ESPN Classics. <laughs> Some of my favorite. Uh, I will also say, anytime I see Arthur Bryant's barbecue references uh, uh, in a series, is also a plus for me. Um, Understood. <laughs> the place is legendary for good reason. And yes, I know about Joe's barbecue. And yes, I know about Beast Barbecue here in St. Louis. But if you have more barbecue suggestions, email ask at abxl.com because eventually there will be traveling and there will be more barbecue from other places in my life. Ooh. So. I also got my retro pie fully configured and set up and nice. have been experimenting and going all crazy nostalgia with that. Also figuring out as well, just some of the best ways of making relatively low resolution games that were originally developed for small CRT displays to look okay look on a 4k OLED <laughs> scaled out to integer values hopefully <laughs> they're a little surreal to watch at vastly higher resolution and refresh rates i'll just i'll just say that i'm very thankful i have the raspberry pi 4 especially when you start playing around with some of the shader features that people have developed that can really go a long way toward either providing a crt style yeah. look or in a way for some games and some consoles they were specifically developed with things like scan lines in mind and mm -hmm. for some titles and consoles, it's nice just to be able to, especially on a modern piece of hardware like a Raspberry Pi 4 in that interface with right. RetroPie, 
to be able just to quickly switch between different shaders or people's flavoring of that visual experience, in addition to just testing out to make sure I'm maintaining my faithfulness to the presentation of the uh, classic game in front of me. Interesting. I'm loving it. And I have a couple of arcade ROMs that I found somewhere, and I'm really getting nostalgic with one of them in particular. And it was just like, holy crap. (laughs) I suddenly have this strong desire for an OLED panel specific for like stand-up game consoles Mm -hmm. or complete systems for people doing restoration or things like that. Things that will likely never be made, but maybe, maybe they can get large enough PC displays done in OLED technology to where it would be practical to maybe make one a little bit larger for, I don't know, Interesting. for the handful of people who want that in a stand-up arcade cabinet. But <laughs> I'm, I'm dreaming now, but uh, you know what? I'm going to start with a tabletop design, maybe a 32-inch OLED, if it ever comes to pass, would be just about perfect. We'll see. I'll work on convincing the powers that be... <laughs> Speaking of which, I need to go check my CES registration. I have some issue with it. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Requires additional information to process my request. That sounds exciting and slightly terrifying. Yeah. If uh, I'll get that figured out. Well, let's take a moment to thank all of our patrons. Patreon.com slash AVXL. Seriously, thank you so much for your financial contribution. It's a little small contribution, but when all of you work together with your micro payments, your small payments, it uh, makes possible for us to defray the cost of making the show, and it gives us a little cash on the side, which we greatly appreciate. Yeah. And check on patreon.com slash AVXL for our next Hangout. Information will be there. And uh, again, my goodness, it's the end of the year, isn't it? It really is. It is getting close, and I just received new embargoed information that will go later oh later tonight <laughs> 7 p.m pacific i'll have something else i can talk about <laughs> so close and yet so yes. far damn it oh my goodness well thanks for listening tune in next week and uh happy end of the year and happy new years folks i'm patrick norton i am robert heron i gotta say it we'll see you next year <laughs> yeah you will you will hear our voices Sooner than later. Well, maybe. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure it'll be next year. All right, I'm cutting it off. Bye, everybody.